Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. As you'll notice, it's just me today. Um, I'm recording solo because uh, I'm trying to get some content out to you. Uh, Mike and I will be recording again this Sunday and we'll pick up our series uh, on the covenants, covenant theology, and um, we'll be talking about uh, the new covenant. Um, so today I want to talk a little bit um, about a subject that came up recently on our Facebook group, Theology Matters. Um, if you're into that type of thing and you haven't joined already, I highly recommend that you do join. Um, so this lady joined, and I think she joined with one purpose, which was to discuss homosexuality. And her viewpoint was that uh, the Bible doesn't really uh, condemn homosexuality, that we've really been misinterpreting the Bible for 2,000 plus years because uh, I believe that the Jews thought that the Old Testament also spoke against homosexuality. So we're going to be talking about homosexuality in the Bible. And this podcast isn't going to necessarily per se um, talk about whether homosexuality itself is right or wrong. But it's going to talk about whether the Bible thinks it's right or wrong. And of course, if you believe the Bible is true and accurate and inerrant in God's word, then um, you're going to have to deal with the, the, the evidence that I'm giving from the Bible. Um, one person was in a discussion, I believe it was Sean McDowell, with some folks who were um, homosexual. And they were kind of talking... Um, calling him some names and stuff. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me ask you this question. If God exists, like the monotheistic God of Christianity, would he rightly have something to say about what we do sexuality, with our sexuality, what we do sexually? And if they thought about that question, like, yeah, I guess if, if he does exist, he did create us, then he would have something to say. So from the get-go, I just want to say that um, that's where Christians are coming from. We believe that God exists, that he created us, and therefore, since he's the creator, he has something to say about what we do and whether it's right or wrong. Um, and, and so that's, that's why it's hard for us to uh, just give in to what the culture is saying. Uh, talking about culture, there was recently a survey that came out that uh, purported to show that children of Christians and all religions, but Christians in particular, were the meanest kids. And the evidence that they cited for this conclusion was that well, they were the most judgmental. And what they meant by judgmental is they're the ones that would most likely call some behavior wrong. Well, of course, if you've grown up in a family where you're taught that certain things are right and wrong, um, then you're going to have those beliefs. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're being mean. All right, so I want to start out with just the didactic passages of the Bible. Let's read through them. I think they're very clear. Then we'll talk about some of the arguments that the lady who joined our Facebook group and others have given to try to show that homosexuality 
is not necessarily called out in the Bible. Um, so we're going to start out with the didactic passages first. And uh, we're just going to start in the Old Testament. Now, you may look at this first verse from Genesis and go, this isn't talking about homosexuality, but it most definitely gives the foundation for um, marriage and sexuality. Uh, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. So Genesis 2, 24, 25 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, lots of times when I'm talking to folks, they'll say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. Well, that actually goes against their argument because Jesus had a lot to say to Pharisees to correct their understanding of different um, religious beliefs at the time. And he never corrected their understanding that homosexuality was wrong. And um, seems like something major that Jesus would have corrected if they had, had been wrong on that. Um, but here he's going to repeat uh, what the verses, he's going to quote the verses that we just read. This is a longer passage, and you know you could spend a whole podcast on just this passage, but um, this is from Matthew 19. He says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So the subject proper is divorce, but it leads to what is the design of marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let no man separate and greg kokel has really boiled this down by saying you know you can get the one 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 principle from this one man one woman one flesh that one flesh definitely incorporates sex and sexuality and intimacy it also um, has the idea of oneness and purpose and oneness and what you're doing that you're resolved to you know, raise a family together um, etc so it's one man one woman one flesh for one lifetime and that's the standard and of course with the disciples when they heard this they were like Jesus this is the standard who can get married would be better wouldn't it be better to not get married and Jesus said well only a few people can actually handle being single and um, so it's probably best that that you get married and then you just take marriage seriously all right so here are some verses that deal with homosexuality proper Leviticus 18:22 you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is an abomination Leviticus 20.13 If there is a man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Leviticus 20.13 1 Corinthians 6.9-10 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 
Um, and I'm noticing that I left out Romans, so I'm going to get my Bible and just read through it because I don't have it in these slides. But 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. But we know that a law is good if one who uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law that let me just start over. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So uh, that verse along with the others, calls out homosexuality as being wrong. And I'm just going to grab my uh, NASB. And we're already in Acts. We're just going to turn over to Romans 1. And if you followed... Romans 1. In fact, a lot of these slides came out of a um, teaching that I did and edited for our youth group, and I called it the big switch. Because in Romans, you see a big switch. Uh, it starts off with folks not being thankful to God, not recognizing God as who he is, and then they start worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And then God gives them over to sin. And we see that big switch occurring um, for our society Around Darwin's time, uh, we give a, we're given an excuse to no longer believe in God. And you can see like dominoes, marriage standards go down. Then we want free love. Then we want to be able to kill our babies. Now we're seeing uh, a rise in homosexuality and now transgenderism. So it's a domino effect um, as you reject God and who he is that these things happen. So this is what Paul says. Um, but professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in, their, in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Um... So there you go. So that, those are the didactic passages on homosexuality. Now we're going to move to some narrative passages. And this is uh, the famous passage on Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, Genesis 18. If you've been following our series on the covenants, you'll notice uh, this happens right after one of the places where God gives Abraham a covenant. Talks about the Abrahamic covenant. And now they're going to go down and uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry. 
which is come to me, and if not, I will know. Of course, um, open theists like to really push on verses like this, but if we take them literally and not as anthropomorphisms, then this one displays it. God doesn't even know what's going on in the present, which, so obviously, this is an anthropomorphism. But um, the that's kind of a rabbit trail that's free. The main point is that Sodom and Gomorrah's sin is exceedingly grave. Um, we get to, to Genesis 19. There's a whole bunch going on in Genesis 19. You can read that whole chapter. Uh, the angels show up. Lot sees them at the gate. He brings them into their house and says, hey, you're not going to be safe out here. Seems odd. And then we pick up in verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, and all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us. Sorry, I was getting a call. Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men as much as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Lots of craziness going on. So the, the men of Sodom um, are beating down Lot's door, trying to. Uh, eventually, we're going to read that the angels uh, cause the men to go blind. And they're so um, in lust with their passions that they um, go around blindly, still trying to knock down the, the door and, and, and get in. Very odd. And then I find Lot's solution to the problem, like, what are you thinking, Lot? Here are my virgin daughters. You can do to them what you want to, but please don't harm these guys, which is very, very odd. Um, some folks have tried to argue that the men weren't trying to have sexual relationship with the angels. I, I don't know how you could read this and not get that from, from this passage. It clearly says they want to have relations with them. I don't think they mean let's sit down and have you know tea and crumpets. Uh, which is further uh, evidenced by Lot saying, well, I have two virgin daughters. What would, if they're just wanting to you know, have tea and crumpets, why would their virginity matter? Um, and do, what, do with them as you will. Just don't, harm, just don't you know, try to have relationships with these guys. So I think it's very clear. Now, I'm kind of already starting to answer some of the objections that you might hear about this passage. So... Uh, if you go to Ezekiel 16.49, the, the liberals out there want to tell you, you we've missed it on Sodom and Gomorrah. All they're wanting to, all they're being punished for was that they weren't very hospitable. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless eed, but she did not help the poor and needy. See? Those angels came and they weren't hospitable. They had a lot, but they they were careless. They didn't help others. That's the background. If you continue reading thus, verse 50, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. 
So maybe 50, 60 years earlier, they, you know, were very wealthy. We know that Lot chose that part of the, the area when he and Adam or Abraham went up because it was luscious. It was green. They had an abundance. And because they had an abundance, they became arrogant and haughty and proud. And thus they were given over to these abominations and therefore uh, God took them out. Uh, I was talking to one guy. He's like, well, you're not letting the rest of the Bible interpret the Bible. Here Ezekiel says that they were, you know, they were taken out because they were inhospitable. And I want to say, well, have you read Jude? Because that's also the rest of the Bible. Jude, um, short little book. In the middle of it, he says, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So Jude, another part of the Bible, telling us about Sodom and Gomorrah, and the fact that they were punished because they went after strange flesh. All right, so if you're going to argue against a biblical view on homosexuality, the view that I'm putting, that I just put forward right there, you got two options. One, you can just say you're misunderstanding the Bible. Or two, you can say the Bible is simply wrong. I don't trust the Bible. And I think this is a more intellectually honest because I don't hear the liberal left trying to, you know, foist other Bible verses on us all the time. They just want to say, hey, you're misunderstanding the Bible. You don't even believe the Bible. Why are you using the Bible as a, as a standard for me um, if you don't believe it? Um, but then they'll, they'll try to say we're misunderstanding the Bible. So let's go over some of the arguments through uh the 80s to today that have been given um, against uh, the understanding that I just came up with. So this is um, John Boswell. He was around in the 1980s. And he contends that the Bible displays many homosexual couples. Uh, and even if he's true, even if what he said, there's he only gives three examples. Um he gives David and Jonathan the you know the example that's always given Ruth and Naomi that's weird okay even weirder Daniel and Ashpenaz now you probably don't you may not even know who Ashpenaz is he's the eunuch that's over Daniel and um, Hananiah Azariah and Michelle um, no evidence nothing that I've ever read could lead me to believe about Ruth and Naomi, Daniel and Ashpenaz. Um, I can see how someone who's wanting to read in homosexuality could see it in the David and Jonathan relationship. Um, but it's clear that you're reading that in. Um, if you've ever been to war or you've been on a football team or some other group of men that are a band of brothers and are going through hard times, you form very close relationships with them. Uh, that's why there's a guy who will fall down on a grenade to save his, his brothers in arms. That's what Jonathan and David went through. They were 
battle mates. They went out to fight together. And the idea that they had a homosexual relationship is not found in the text. People are reading that in. Um, in fact, David liked the women, which we see it was a problem later on in his life. Um, John Boswell uh, was a homosexual himself and died of AIDS at the age of 47. Uh, most people uh, uh, don't accept his arguments. He says that the condemnation of homosexuality only began in the two, uh, 1200s. That's you know like saying that we didn't have a Bible until 300. Well, it wasn't until 300, sometime in the 300s, that folks started questioning which books were in the Bible, and that's why the church made a statement on it. It wasn't until the 1200s that folks started pushing back a little bit on homosexuality, and so the, the church uh, made a statement on it. All right, uh, this is Dr. Ann Nyland, and you'll find these arguments still on the internet today. So the word that we read in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy that gets translated as homosexual is actually a Greek compound word, arsenokoites, arseno meaning man, koites meaning bed, man bed, and of course, um, Dr. Ann Nyland and others have said that it's improper to translate this as homosexuality. It only re, uh, refers to temple prostitutes. Well, how, how do you know this? Um, because the temple prostitutes were homosexuals or at least engaging in homosexual acts. So why would, how would you know for sure what Paul means? Um, but I think this is the kicker, uh, Leviticus 2013 with, which is one of the, uh, verses we read from the old Testament. Remember in Paul's time, they're not reading the Hebrew version of these. They're reading the Greek version and Leviticus clearly uses these words, arsenos koiten in the Septuagint and Paul says Arsenicotes, and it was also used in some other plays, but it, and it was talking about Acts at the temple. Just because those Greek plays were talking about homosexual acts at the temple um, is not evidence that Paul couldn't mean, yes, those homosexual acts are wrong, and any other homosexual acts, homosexuality, as a man lies with a man or a man bed, are all wrong. And of course, this argument doesn't do anything to get around Romans 1, which I just read, which doesn't use the word arsenicoites. It just describes the act. A man lying with a man working with uh, what is unseemly or indecent. Um, so for the most part, even though you'll still see people arguing, arguing these ways, there's been a new wave of argument and, and these ways of arguing have, have gone out. Okay. So Matthew Vine comes on the scene in 2014. Uh, this is some of the most um, recent uh, arguments. He starts out by saying, um, well, he was doing a Bible study and he was reading Matthew 7. Um, and that towards the end of 7, you see um, Jesus talking about a good tree and a bad tree. So let me read that for you. I can print that out or put it in the slides. Let me 
All right, Matthew 7, 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So here's Matthew Vine's argument. There are a lot of homosexuals that are in a bad place. They have a high rate, high rate of suicide. They have high rate of emotional um, problems, mental health problems. That's the bad fruit that's come from this tree of saying that homosexuality is wrong. And since we know a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, then this tree of declaring homosexuality wrong must be a bad tree and therefore we know it's false. Well, this argument proves way too much because anything, if, if this is what it means, anything that produces an ill effect, we could be saying that Jesus is saying that it's wrong. Um, when I got pulled over um, several years ago for speeding, I got a ticket and that caused me some mental anguish. I didn't like it. I felt bad. I was upset. I felt like I was in, you know, just going with the flow of traffic. That was bad fruit. And so, therefore, the tree of there being a speed limit or a cop trying to enforce the speed limit, that's probably a bad tree and needs to be cut down. It's wrong. Uh, if we're going to go with Matt's version of, of how we interpret what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is actually saying is that the bad fruit are acts of disobedience to the law. And when you do that, then you know you're a bad tree. That's clearly what he's saying. Because um, if you keep reading, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The bad tree are those who do not do obedience to God's law. Very clear and simple. Um, Matthew Vine, sorry, these are also, uh, also says that Romans 1, Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy are about abusive male relationships. It's not just temple prostitution. It's, you know, about those um, man-boy relationships that the Romans had that were abusive or people who weren't in a loving mutual relationship. Um, but... He never cites um, abuse of lesbianism. There's no record of abuse of lesbian, lesbians in uh, the ancient world. And yet Paul in Romans 1 talks about women exchanging the natural for the unnatural. Um, and then Paul talks about idolatry. So is Paul in Romans 1 only talking about abusive idolatry? He also talks about fornication. Is Paul only talking about abusive fornication? 
Or is he talking about homosexuality, lesbianism, idolatry, and fornication? All of them are against God's law. That's the most natural way to read what Paul is saying and make sense of everything that uh, he's had to say. Um, he did say this in one of his talks, almost no one will be persuaded by the use of scripture. Christians have too high a view of scripture. Well, amen. And I, I think those so-called Christians who have, have bent the knee to society on this did not come to that conclusion because they found it in the scriptures. They came to that conclusion because they had a son or a daughter or a good friend who was homosexual. And because their commitment and understanding of the scripture wasn't the foundation of their Christianity, when that came into their lives, they changed their views. Um, I'm not saying that you can't um, learn more about the struggles of someone who's homosexual and therefore maybe understand their plight more if you had a son or a daughter that was that was you know dealing with that sin that wouldn't make it right then because the bible is god's eternal word all right um last uh charge you're being inconsistent you're reading these verses from leviticus and Levitic, the bible says a lot that you don't even follow when someone says this they need to go back and listen to our stuff on the covenants particularly the mosaic covenant and understand the bible as a whole um yes i eat bacon yes i eat shrimp yes i cut my hair yes the other michael has tattoos Yes, I wear clothing of mixed fibers. Yes, I drive more than, you know, so far on a Sabbath. I don't keep the Mosaic Law because I was never under the Mosaic Law. I don't argue about Leviticus um, passages. I think they're 18 and 20. Because I'm saying you're under the Mosaic Law, therefore you need to keep the Mosaic Law. That's, that's not the argument at all. Um, so we're not arguing like that and no one has saying, um, that a proper understanding of the Bible means that, that we're keeping the law. Just read, you know, Galatians. There's a famous West Wing quote or famous West Wing scene where there's some woman who says she's against homosexuality and, uh, the president, Charlie Sheen's dad, I don't remember his name. I'm sure y'all are all shouting it out. Um, starts asking this lady, do you eat shrimp? Do you do this? Do you do this? Well, if you're not going to keep those parts of the Bible, why are you trying to, you know, foist this part of the Bible on us? Well, just a quick review of the Mosaic Law. Um, there is ceremonial parts of the Mosaic Law. There are moral parts of the Mosaic Law. There are civic parts of the Mosaic Law. There's overlap, like we were talking about before. Um, the you know rule to put a fence around your roof well we wouldn't do that but can we learn from that yeah it means that we need to care for others that we need to look out for their safety and their protection and so maybe we put a fence around a swimming pool um the laws about you know not mixing fiber clearly a picture a continual picture for the the israelites that they're not to mix with the surrounding nations there are prescribed punishments for this, these laws. Um, 
We're not beholden to kill homosexuals, even though that was the penalty under the theocracy. So how do we know what part is the moral right and wrong part? What part is ceremonial? What part is civic? Well, some of it's pretty obvious. Um, some of it's maybe not obvious. If something's repeated in the New Testament, um, that's a really good indication that it's moral and eternal. If the other Mike were here, he would be ta talking about how the Ten Commandments, he believes, were um, known and part of the, the um, communicated law of God, even before the, the Mosaic Law. So I'll, I'll just speak on his behalf. And so they're enduring, at least on his view, before, during, and after uh, the Mosaic Law. Um, so clearly... Uh, homosexuality goes against Genesis 1, which was before the law, goes against what Jesus says in Matthew 19, goes against what Paul is saying. And so we're not being inconsistent. We are trying to thoroughly understand the Bible and to live by it. And those who raise these things show that they are very ignorant of the flow of the Bible, how the Old Testament is bringing about a Messiah who can save um, the world from its sins. Okay, so that is, in my view, the evidence from the Bible on homosexuality, the four common uh, arguments. There's homosexual couples, our Senecotes. Um, then Matthew Vines kind of gives two. He says, talks about um, the good tree, bad tree, and he also talks about... Um, how it was about abusive relationships, and then this last one that we're abusing the Old Testament. Um, so there is a question here. How should the government respond? How should our society respond to homosexuality? Well, James Warner Wallace has said that uh, a society has three options with any action. It can prohibit that action, it can permit that action, or it can promote that action. In the past, we prohibited homosexuality, we promoted um, same-sex core, I mean, pardon me, opposite sex, like the core um, of the nuclear nuclear family, the man and the woman. We gave, you know, we protected the man and wife, husband-wife relationship, we licensed it, we gave certain benefits to it. Some of that's eroding now. Um... In the 60s and 70s, we started to stop prohibiting um, homosexuality. We took those sodomy laws off the books. Uh, so now we move from prohibit to permit, and now we're in full-on promotion as a society. Where, where is right? Um, I think that there are practical issues with trying to prohibit. Uh, I, I, am, I do have some pause thinking about you know police raiding an apartment of two guys and trying to find out whether they're just roommates or not. However, I know that laws inform the conscience of the people. Um, as soon as marijuana started being legalized, polls showed that people started thinking, oh, the marijuana's fine. Well, why did their thinking on marijuana change you know, over overnight? Well, it's because the law changed. And the law informs the hearts and the minds of the people. So I would probably be for some type of law that said that this is wrong, um, but with limited um, penalties. 
I, I don't know how to practically work that out. We should not be promoting it. All right, so we've been talking about homosexuality um, along with that. Uh, just like we said, when homosexuality became um, accepted, now transgender would start to try to be accepted and pedophilia. Well, guess what? We weren't lying and we weren't wrong. Those things are there. There's a TED Talk on, on pedophilia and why we're, they're just misunderstood and they can't help you know this choice that's that they have or this uh, feeling that they have. So transgenderism, I really feel for these folks, deeply confused folks. If you ask them, um, they will say they feel like a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. Um, some of these notes are left over from the study that I did with our youth kids, but in homosexuality, there's a gender, what, what, uh, sociologists, psychologists would tell you, there's a gender disassociation that's at the subconscious level. I don't know what that means from a Christian worldview. They're just saying that there is some way that the male is relating to a female or vice versa, but it's not at the conscious level. For transgender folks, that's moved from the subconscious to the conscious. Whatever that means, it means that they're aware that they feel like they're a male or a woman. And so they will tell you there's a mismatch. Something's wrong. My mind and my body, they don't match. My mind doesn't feel like it belongs in this body. So what's the solution to that? Should we slice the body and cut the body? change the physical or should we try to help change the the non-physical the mind there are no actual sex changes every cell in a male is going to have that x chromosome every cell in a female is going to have those double y's um there are only mutilations and there's story after story of folks um who have had these operations, who've gotten the hormone treatments, who've now lived their lives as the opposite gender from how they were born, and they're not satisfied. <clears throat> the guy who pioneered the, the sex change surgery at John Hopkins says he will not do it anymore because he, they pioneered it because they wanted to give relief to these people. And the suicide rate doesn't change after, before and after these um treatments because the person is still there's still a mismatch and cutting the body does not fix that mismatch you know folks will argue well the reason why they have such a high um suicide rate is because they're so oppressed i think that's wrong but there's probably let's just say that there is some oppression let's grant that who was the more oppressed people jews in nazi germany or transgenders in America obviously Jews the suicide rate was like next to nothing for Jews how about blacks in antebellum America and transgender well the black suicide rate in antebellum America was nowhere you know basically nothing so to say that there's this group of people who are committing suicide like it or attempting suicide, I think it's like 40% attempt rate, which is astronomically high. And try to say, oh, that's just because they're oppressed by society. We don't see that type of number in any, any other group of people. And it's because that they are deeply confused. We should be praying for these folks. We should not be harsh with these folks. 
but that doesn't make their confusion right. It doesn't make their mind correct and their body wrong. It just means that they need uh, the work of God. Of course, another question, how should we respond to homosexuals, uh, to those who are struggling with transgender? We should respond with grace and truth. That's hard for our churches. You see the, uh, you know, these very, I want to say ultra conservative, but they're, that does, that's, doesn't even really describe them. These very closed minded churches who all they want to do is give truth and they're not gracious at all towards the center. And of course you see these other churches that don't want to give truth. They just want to be gracious and loving and accepting. And what we're called to do is do both <coughs> to give the truth in love, truth and love. I have found, uh, even some of you listening, or this gets uh, shared or something, or go viral, probably won't happen. <coughs> I will probably be responding to and told that I'm a bigot, I'm homophobic, I'm transphobic, I'm narrow-minded, I'm hate-filled. I don't, I don't think you heard that from me today. Um, but that's where our society has gotten to. If you disagree with me, if you do not accept me, um, you're all these bad things. We can't, of course, they're not agreeing with me. They're not accepting my viewpoints, but they don't get labeled with, with these verses. As Christians uh, in our society, we need to stand firm uh, like this lighthouse amongst the waves. I'm not sure that this is a real picture or not. It's probably uh, Photoshop, but if it is, cool. Good on it for withstanding those waves. Um, remember, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Let's keep God at the center. Let's not start worshiping creation instead of God. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Don't fear man. Don't fear what society is going to do for you. Remember to bring grace and truth. Um, be humble. Be open. Be gentle. But don't compromise what the Lord uh, has said. Because while the fear of man brings a snare, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, we want you to think well, walk humbly, do justice, and love mercy. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.